Good morning. This is Kevin Payne, pastor at First Baptist Church in Independence, Missouri. Welcome to our podcast. What you're about to hear is a portion of our worship services that began last Sunday morning at 1030. Every week we gather and sing praises to the living God and hear teachings from His Word found in Scripture. We hope you enjoy the message. If you'd like to hear more, there are more here on the podcast, or you could come and worship with us. Our Bible studies begin at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and our worship begins at 10.30. We're located in Independence, Missouri, 500 West Truman Road. Why don't you come and worship with us? Good morning. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We come and worship. We're safe and warm and fed. You have blessed us in so many ways. We thank you. We thank you for this life that we have in Jesus for the hope that we have in him. Be with us today, Father. Hear our words of praise. Hear our request. Teach us from your word. We love you, Father. We worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once I stood in the night With my head bowed low In the darkness as black as could be and my heart felt alone and I cried oh Lord don't hide your face from me hold my hand all the
Thank you, Nate. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. The Gospel of Matthew, your first book in the New Testament, chapter 16. Continuing in our series about the old-time religion, if you were to go back and have a conversation with someone and you were explaining to them what old-time faith was, rather than getting into a lot of bizarre things, you would deal with the basics. And one of the basics of the old-time religion is the people or the church. So today we're going to talk about how the people are the church and how Jesus formed us and we're based on Jesus Christ and how we stand today in this culture. Matthew chapter 16. It's interesting, Dave was talking about all of the sea of red and everybody's thinking chiefs, of course, and I was driving through one of the neighborhoods here and I noticed somebody had their sign up, go Royals. You know, so I don't know if they left it up from two years ago. Or they just thought this was a good time to celebrate the Royals. So go Royals, right? No, go Chiefs. And yes, I, I do wear red for Chiefs. My wife did buy me a shirt, but surprisingly, she bought one in her size, not mine. So, so I don't know what that says. We need to talk, obviously. <laughs> so Tammy looks like a Chiefs fan today. We are glad you're here today to worship with us. We talk about... A lot of things in this church and issues of faith are the most important, of course. And as I said, we're going to talk about the church, how we function as a church, how we do things as a church, what makes up the church, how we fit into our culture, and even celebrating the things that our culture has are good things. So it's, it's good for churches to take part in those kinds of celebrations. It, it shows that we are of the, of the cloth of this culture. Matthew chapter 16 as always, we pray. Pray for our nation. We've heard it all. Pray that God can work. And regardless of the decisions that our legislators make, pray that we can stand together. You know, that's more important than any one individual politician or party or issue of the year. We need to be bigger than just one issue or one politician, don't we? We need to stand together. And even when we don't like another's politics, we have to stand with them as a nation. So pray towards that end if you would. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again for your presence. We gather in the name of Jesus. We have been bought with his blood, saved, cleansed, and regenerated by the working of his spirit. Thank you, Father, for that. You give us potential, potential for being better than we can imagine, for being different, for being like Jesus. We thank you. We come before you, Father, knowing that even at our best, we're tainted and we resist you. So we ask for mercy, Father. Forgive us for our sin and cleanse us from our unrighteousness, for our pettiness, for our lust, for our apathy. Cleanse us, Father, as only you can. We pray that you would work within each of our lives to help us to start every day fresh and fully obedient to you. We ask for our spirit of submission, that we might follow your lead, that we might heed the teachings from your word, that we might begin to think like Christians, not just people that go to church. As always, Father, we pray for those in our congregation, for those in our midst, some struggle, 
Some have lost loved ones. Just recently we pray for their comfort. Others are facing difficult decisions. We pray for guidance and wisdom for them. Others are just in the middle of situations that stress them and have no easy answers. Give them comfort and hope for better times. We pray for our soldiers, wherever they serve. Protect them, Father. We pray for our first responders, for their families. Use these servants to save lives, to bring peace and justice. And Father, we pray for our nation. You know all the details. We ask that you work. Regardless of what people do, continue to be gracious with us. Work in our midst to bring about a sense of unity, the strength that we can have when we stand together. We pray for a sense of justice in our culture. We pray that the evil voices would be silenced and that those that are good and righteous would be heard. Lord, this is probably the best opportunity that the church has had in decades to speak clearly. Give us a courage and the ability to do that. Help us to speak of the faith that is in Jesus, of the life that can be had as we follow you. Help us to speak and to demonstrate the love of God that can change lives. As always, Father, be with us now. And again, thank you for this wonderful life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God formed us into a people for a reason. We are chosen for service. Not because we're better than others. Not even because we're necessarily more willing than others. When you receive Jesus as Savior, when you become part of the church, you are chosen by God for service, created for his workmanship in Christ, so says Paul. One of the things that we, we have to do and have to teach our children is that when you join the church, you do so so you can become God's servant we sometimes forget that. We get saved because we want to feel better. We get saved because we have a burden of guilt. We get saved because we want to have an eternity in heaven. All of those are legitimate reasons to receive Christ as Savior. But the overarching understanding is we are saved so we can serve. God has made this clear from the very beginning. Follow along with me in Matthew chapter 16 in one of Jesus' conversations with his disciples about the church. Matthew 16, I'll read verses 13 through 19. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal us to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
This is one of the more controversial passages in the New Testament, and you probably know that, and we'll talk about why in just a little bit. It seemed pretty simple. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and somewhere along the way, he stopped and asked them, what are people saying about me? And he wanted them to find out. One of the things that Jesus wanted us to understand is that the church is based on Jesus and his work on the cross. So that was the key. Jesus' work on the cross and Jesus at the center of everything a church does. And so Jesus was talking to his disciples and he asked them, all right, what are people saying? And they give several answers. People thought he was a prophet. People thought he was somebody religious, something about out of history. Good answers all. But then Jesus made it personal. Well, who do you say that I am? And he was looking at his disciples, and then Peter blurted out, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then we have the discussion. So the first thing we have to understand there is Jesus has the audacity to make this personal. Your faith isn't you and your wife and family in the church. Your faith isn't a, a group of belief systems that you buy into. Your faith is personal. It's between you and Jesus. Who do you say that I am? So whenever you talk about Christianity, make sure you don't detach yourself from this idea and where it just becomes a religious philosophy. You know, we have a tendency to do that. People talk about that, and it's safe, and you don't have to get personal and all those kinds of things. But we have to remember that Jesus Christ and this faith that we espouse is a very personal thing because Jesus quickly went from what are people talking about to the very next question, well, what do you say? So whenever we talk about faith, we're talking about an issue of us and where we stand in relationship with Jesus. And that's just that's not really the thrust of the passage, but isn't it interesting that that's how Jesus took the conversation? Who do you say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Peter blurted that out, and I don't know if he thought about it or it was just a gut reaction. With Peter, it's probably just a gut reaction. He said something really profound because Jesus wasn't just prophet, wasn't just rabbi, wasn't just religious leader. He was son of the living God. He was the Messiah that the Jewish people were looking for. So Peter understood that part. And again, this is something significant for us. Jesus isn't just religious leader. He's not just religious teacher. Yes, all of the above. But... More than anything else, Jesus is the anointed one from God, son of the living God. Thou art the Christ. So whenever you think about the way God has worked in history and God wanting to do something special, he's done it through Jesus. So whenever we talk about the church, we're talking about something that came about as because of the work of Jesus. He was the one who was at the very bedrock. And then interestingly enough, Jesus said, Peter... Blessed are you because God has revealed it to you, meaning he didn't just guess, but the Holy Spirit had been working in Peter and helped him to understand what the others hadn't grasped yet. And then he said, blessed are you, and upon you I will build my church. So let's look at scriptures to gain an understanding of what Jesus was talking about. Church, Look at verse 16 again. And Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the foundation of the church, not good people. And again, without disparaging any Christians, Christians fail. Christians get old and die. 
Christians make mistakes. The church isn't based on Christians. The church is based on Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, in another book, Peter wrote that Jesus was the cornerstone. Now, you remember the old stories from Sunday school, but some of you may not have heard it. In ancient cultures, and it really isn't that old of a practice, when you began to build a building, you would lay out, you would get your string and mark it where you're going to build a building, and you would lay the first stone. The first stone was the cornerstone. You would de- that cornerstone was important because it determined the lay of the whole building. You would determine the elevation of the building by where the cornerstone was. You would determine the, f- the way the building faced, east or west or north or south, by the cornerstone. You would determine how that building related to the other buildings around it. You would even determine how that building functioned in that culture because of the road layout and things like that by the placement of the cornerstone. So when Peter called Jesus the cornerstone, he was saying, all right, Jesus is the foundation, but he's that cornerstone because who Jesus is, what he is, how he does things, how he thinks, how he talks, that lays the way for the church to function. So whenever we ask ourselves, well, I wonder how the the church should do this, wonder what we should teach, wonder how we should approach this situation, what we have to do is not look at church leadership but we have to look at how Jesus would do it. So that old youth phrase, what would Jesus do, is valid here. When we as a church decide on some kind of ministry endeavor, what we have to do is ask, well, I wonder what Jesus would do. If the cornerstone were here and we could see the lay of the land and see how the cornerstone related to the culture and how the cornerstone related to the surrounding areas and how the cornerstone was made and determined the availability of the structure, then that would give us some guidance as a church because Jesus is not just a foundation stone. He is the cornerstone, Peter said. So Jesus is foundation. And then he goes on. Look at verse 18, if you would. I'll read that again. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he talks to Peter now, not the disciples as a group, but to Peter. He says, upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. So, we, so Jesus had this understanding that the church was something, not just something that he was going to do, because sometimes people restrict religious faith to what the leaders do. Instead, Jesus said, listen, you are my rock. I'm going to build my church on you. So he acknowledged Peter's leadership. Now, we're going to get into the controversy here in just a moment, but I think Jesus was understanding And he made an acknowledgement that Peter was really the spark of this group of disciples. You know how it is? Every group has a leader. Like it or not, whether you like the leader or not is irrelevant. Whether he or she is chosen or not is sometimes irrelevant. Every group has a leader. And he or she determines the course of the group. Ever notice that? Yesterday we had a shindig at my house and all my grandkids were there and several other families and all those kinds of things. And all these kids, I don't remember how many there were, but they were running through the house just pell-mell doing all sorts of crazy things. And the leader of the gang is my oldest granddaughter. She has really an overpowering personality. She's not really loud or anything like that, but she is a real force with which to be reckoned. And she determines the course of the play, and they all had their ideas, and they're all going crazy, and she was right in the center of everything, making sure. And, and she's a real sweet girl, and she's very much about following the rules. So all these kids were doing all these things, and we didn't have to get on to them at all hardly, because the leader of the group kept them in line. 
And they knew that. They knew to do that. Jesus is to be the leader of our group. To show us as a church how to function. To show us as a church how should we relate to our culture. To show us as a church how should we act in a way to go out into the community. And he does this through people. As he gives us good leaders and he helps us to build on those. Now Peter was a man of great faith and you know that. He was seen as the emotional and spiritual leader of the disciples. And of course he is one of the pivotal characters in the history of the church just because he was just an overpowering force of nature and God used him greatly Paul too and several others but Jesus understood that among that group of disciples Peter was the guy and he said I'm gonna build my church on people like you now the reason for the controversy is and I'm gonna diverge just a little bit here don't want to lose you in the Christian world there's two groups there are Catholics and then everybody else, right? If you are not a Catholic, you are a everybody else. And that was decided a long time before we existed. Uh, I mean, back in, in the 4th century A.D. And Jesus worked in his church. And the Catholics came along and they formed their own denomination. And they looked at this passage and said, Oh, Jesus said Peter started everything. He must be the first pope. And so when you talk to a good Catholic today who's been trained... They're going to tell you that Peter was the first pope, and J Peter established the papacy, the pope work, and all those kinds of things, and the church has to function according to the pope. And that was the way things were for several centuries. And then in the Protestant Reformation, Protestants, Protestant Reformation, we protested that, we broke away from that, and we reject Peter as the first pope, and we reject the authority of the papacy. So when you go to a Protestant church, it doesn't matter which one, whenever you go to a Protestant church, you will almost never hear a reference to the Pope because we see him as a good guy, a good Christian man, but really not in charge of anything that affects us. And so this is one of the reasons that this passage is so controversial because this is the passage where the Catholic Church gets the idea that Peter was the first Pope and the papacy is how the church is to be functioned and, and centered around. Now, we disagree with those things. When I look at this passage, I don't see Jesus establishing Peter as the first pope. I see him acknowledging one of his best leaders. and said, on your leadership, the church is going to grow. And so Jesus is going to use, guess what, a man or a woman to build his church. So when we talk about how the church is going to grow, we're going to talk about how God is going to use people men and women of God, sometimes children, to grow the faith. So we look around and we say, well, what needs to be done? And people put their heads together and God speaks to them and leads them through the Spirit. And then people begin to do the ministries of God and people share their faith and people sing songs about Jesus and people write books about Jesus and people become preachers and ministers and teachers and they teach about Jesus and God uses all of them to do his work and grow his church and finally Jesus will build his church when people get saved it is a direct result of the work of Jesus do you know that you don't save people Billy Graham didn't save people your preacher didn't save you or your child or your grandchild you know who saved you Jesus now God uses other people and I, I you know this, but we have to be reminded. Preachers don't save people. 
Evangelists don't save people. Jesus saves people. Jesus builds up the church. And we just have to remember that. So when you look at, at a work of God and you look at a church that's growing or you look at someone's life who is changing or someone who was impacted by a preacher or a grandparent or something like that, just understand what's going on. God is working through those people to do his work. And God used Peter, a loud mouth that was undisciplined and unruly and probably smelled bad. And he used him anyway. And he used his fire, and he used his enthusiasm, and he used his intellect, and he did great things with that man, Peter. God uses anybody he wants. Whether or not you are intelligent or talented in a particular way is almost irrelevant. God equips you to do the ministry that he wants you to do. He puts you in contact with the right people. He puts you in contact with the right materials. It always, always amazed me as I talk to people through the years, and I find out that God placed them in a certain place at a certain time to talk to a certain person, to be impacted by a certain ministry, and that set them on course for the rest of their lives. Never doubt that God isn't working. He's working in ways that you cannot even imagine and he does it consistently, and it's totally an act of God. The reason for the church is so we can serve. The church is God's way of overcoming the evil of this world. I was watching a really bad movie the, the other day. I, I like demon movies. I don't know if anybody, you know, I like sci-fi movies. I like monster movies. And I've always had a thing about demon movies. You know the kind of movies I'm talking about. They're about demons and exorcists and all that. And for the most part, they are poorly written and poorly acted. But I like them anyway, and I don't know why. So I was watching one, and it didn't matter what it was. But in, in these demon movies, there's a, a, a group of actors that always seem to make it. And Christopher Walken, he's one of those actors. And he's one of my favorite actors. And he's really not very good. And he's kind of odd looking, and he's odd acting. And I guess that's what I like about him. But he is in one of this series of demon movies. And in this particular demon series of movies, the demons are out there, and they fly around. They turn into bats and eat each other and all those kinds of things. And, and it's kind of a silly movie. But I think I like it because there is some truth to the idea that there is a spiritual battle going on. Now, the movies are just hokum, you know, all that stuff, and old Latin secrets and secret books and secret priesthood. It's all nonsense, and I know it. But we must be aware of the fact that there is a very real evil in our world, and that evil is working to corrupt and to destroy and to get nice people to die in their sins. And we just have to remember that. And whether or not you want to believe it or not, or accept it or not, as Christian, you are engaged in the battle against evil. Now, in the movies, again, these demon movies that I like so well, the evil is always obviously evil. You know, they wear dark clothes, they usually have really pale skin, and they do obviously evil things. Evil seldom looks evil. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it does. But evil is out there, and it can look really nice. And attractive people can be wrapped up in evil practices. And good governments can do evil things. And good people can get engaged in evil thoughts and actions and all those kinds of things. And what we as Christians have to do is be alert to the reality of evil and then pay attention. And when we encounter it, go on the offensive. Now, in this passage of Scripture... 
I'd turn your attention to that again. Verses 17 and 18. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There is this battle going on, and the church is involved. By far, the focus of battle between good and evil is on who is Jesus. So when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am, that was the crucial issue. Either he's son of God who saves, or he's not. If you relegate Jesus to nothing more than religious leader... If you say that Jesus is a good influence, but no more than other good influences, then you have taken away the power and you've lost the battle because you've lost the answer to the question of evil. We understand this. God is good and holy and pure, and the evil one is absolutely evil, and there is this raging battle going on. And God's way of conquering evil is through Jesus. So what we have to understand is the key issue is the issue of salvation. So when we talk about our world and the church doing battle with the evil one, what we talk about is the idea of whether or not do people need to get saved to be saved. And how can they be saved? So, And that's a crucial issue. And so when you talk about other religious faiths, they all have this concept of getting something or having eternal life, sometimes dealing with sins, sometimes they don't deal with that issue at all. But the issue is, who is Jesus to them? So I've begun to realize that the way that you test other faiths, and this is just how I do it, the test for all religious faith is this. Does it lead you to Jesus Christ or away from Jesus Christ? Now think about that. Does the faith consciously lead you to receive Jesus as Savior? Or does it lead you away from Jesus as Savior? Any faith that does not consciously lead you towards Jesus as Savior is a faith of the evil one. doesn't mean the people in that faith are bad people, but it means they've been misled. And that is the crucial issue. So when the church encounters people of other faiths, what we must do is focus on that issue of Jesus. We don't have to criticize people. We don't have to insult them. We don't have to say your music's bad. We don't have to say we don't like your preachers or anything like that. What we must stick on, though, is this issue of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is Savior, and only Jesus is Savior. So when you talk to a Muslim individual, you can argue about the Old Testament, and that's fine. It's kind of entertaining, but that's not the real issue. It's Jesus when you talk to a non-Christian, any kind of non-Christian, you talk to an atheist, the issue is not where does God fit in the big picture or any of those things. The issue is always Jesus. Always. And our job is to make sure that people understand who Jesus is. So in this battle against evil, we must be almost noxious with this idea that Jesus is the way of life. And that means we don't have to be obnoxious personally, but we've got to be just adamant. No, it's Jesus and only Jesus. And only as you do that will people get saved. Interestingly enough, you're probably interested to hear this. In the Muslim world, there is this huge movement towards Jesus. 
one of the ripest evangelical movements in the world today, is among Muslim cultures. People are beginning to see that Jesus isn't just a prophet, which is the official stance of Islam, but Jesus is Savior. And they understand that when they receive Jesus as Savior, they can't be Muslim anymore. They're Christian. And it's hard. The issue of salvation is a big issue. The issue of love over hate is another issue that the church has to take on. It's easy to hate people, isn't it? Watch our leaders on TV. One of the most disappointing things to me in the last two weeks watching the impeachment hearings and all this is our best and brightest really aren't very good and they're really not very bright and they really aren't good people sometimes. They act like, no offense, they act like seventh graders. No offense to seventh graders either. It's amazing, isn't it? It's very disappointing. We must talk about this issue of love over hate. One of the influences of the gospel that is so good and so wholesome is that it causes us to love other people. You can love someone and hate their political perspective. You can disagree with them respectfully and love them anyway. You can love people that disagree with you. You do not have to hate. In fact, hate is the easy way out. You see people you disagree with, you don't like the way they do things, you don't like the way they say it, I hate them. It's easy, I get it. That's why we do it, it's easy. Jesus says, love your enemy, bless those that curse you. The call of the church is to follow Jesus and love people. Doesn't matter what you think about the LGBTQ agenda, love people. It doesn't mean you like what you see on TV when we watch the impeachment hearings. Love people. We've got to get away past this nonsense where we get to hate people that disagree with us. It will destroy us. Read your history books. When people start hating others, it is acceptable to hate them and hurt them and kill them. All you have to do is hate. Jesus calls us to love. And this is how we overcome evil. The early church overcame the phase of Rome because from the official study that the Roman government did, Christians love people. They did. They studied the church by the late 3rd century. They studied the church, ordered people to go out there and find out what in the world was going on, that this Christian thing was exploding and taking over. The official assessment was they love people. Love conquers hate. One other thing. The issue of God's sovereign presence. I don't know why it does that. One of my good friends this week, I was talking to him about this passage. He says, what you need to do, Kevin, is talk to them about how when we pray and God works, we need to acknowledge that God has worked. I started thinking he's right. You know, sometimes we're a little bit embarrassed. We say a prayer or we see that God does something. It's a subtle thing. It's not obvious, but we know that God has been has done something, and sometimes we're a little bit hesitant to, re- to say that. I think probably my preacher friend had a good idea. When God does something in life, acknowledge it. If you get a chance to tell somebody, say it. You know, I, I had this issue, and I prayed to God, and, and God did this. It's this idea that God is sovereign. That means he's everywhere, and he's in charge, and he's working, and God does that through the church. So the church, God's people, can do incredible things because God works through his church. Sometimes he does it on a very subtle level. 
Sometimes it is outrageous what God does. Let's talk about how God works. How many of you have ever had an answered prayer? Anybody? How many of you know for a fact, and I want to see hands, that you prayed in one time and God did something in response? Sure. Almost every one of us. And yet, we're almost reluctant to talk about it because we don't want to sound too preachy or too religious. Jesus said, you go out and when you do my work, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. People can argue with you as long as you make it an intellectual argument. As long as it's an argument of philosophy, they can counter that. But they cannot tell you God didn't work. And when you state with conviction, I am absolutely positive God is working, that'll make an impact. When Jesus told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and what you lose is going to be loose, and what you bind is going to be bound, what he was talking about is this. When the church does its job, when we make sure that people know about Jesus, when we make sure that people hear about God's work, when we do our job as Christians to share the faith, then that faith is going to have an impact in people's lives. And when we talk about forgiveness and people receive Jesus, they're going to be forgiven. And when we talk about Christian teachings and how God wants us to live and we teach that and it takes root, then lives are going to change. That's what he's talking about. There's no secret code here. Jesus was antithetical to secret codes and secret meanings. Jesus wanted people to know, listen, and he wanted Peter to know, you follow me and the world will change. I'm going to build my church on your faith. Not because Peter was special, but because Peter had the kind of faith that God uses. The faith that just blurts out the truth. The faith that will not be stopped. The faith that overpowers the evil one. That's the kind of thing that God can use. It's a simple idea. God's people are the church. That's us. He calls us. And he shapes us. And then he equips us to work for his kingdom. Jesus knew this would be hard. You know this. You live in an evil world. You watch the news. See? I don't know that that's evil. It is evil, but I don't know if it's the evil one. Who knows? But Jesus wanted us to be affirmed in our faith. Would you stand with me, please? Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. The invitation is simple. Follow Jesus. Make that decision to make him Lord of your life and come forward and proclaim that. There may be other decisions you need to make today and make that public too. Would you come forward as Nate leads us? Hold my hand all the way every hour every day from here to the great unknown take my hand let me stand where Stay.
let me encourage you. Be the church. You know what God wants you to do. For the most part, we understand. Follow Jesus. Be the person that God can use in any given situation. It's always the right thing to do. Jane, would you come and lead us in a closing prayer, please? Father, we want to thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we want to thank you that as, as believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit abides in us. And Father, I pray that this week we will honor you by all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.